You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, August 16th, 2023. Later in the program, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana. More in the bottom half of our program. Last week at the Indiana's Republican Party State Dinner, the GOP endorsed U.S. Representative Jim Banks for the open U.S. Senate seat. Banks' endorsement is the first time the Indiana Republican Party has openly endorsed a candidate before the primary elections. More coming up next in your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup. For Thursday, August 17, 2023, I'm Brooklyn Lambright. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb announced on Tuesday that David Rosenberg will be the state's new Secretary of Commerce. Rosenberg is replacing the previous Secretary of Commerce, Brad Chambers. Chambers stepped down from the position on August 6 after considering a run for Indiana Governor. Holcomb said, quote, David has been instrumental in guiding the IEDC team over the last two years, and I am confident in his ability to continue to lead the strong team and Indiana's extraordinary economic momentum, end quote. Rosenberg has been with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, or IEDC, since 2021, serving on state projects like the Indiana Regional Economic Acceleration and Development Initiative and the LEAP program, which developed nearly 9,000 acres across Boone County. Before working with IEDC, Rosenberg served as the Deputy Chief of Staff for former Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard and as Operations Officer for Indianapolis Public Schools. Last Thursday at Indiana's Republican Party State Dinner, the GOP endorsed U.S. Representative Jim Banks for the open U.S. Senate seat. Banks' endorsement is the first time the Indiana Republican Party has openly endorsed a candidate before primary elections. Banks currently represents Indiana's 3rd Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. Banks is running against Democratic candidates Keith Potts and Mark Carmichael for Mike Braun's vacated seat. Braun announced he will be running for Indiana governor this year instead of the U.S. Senate. Banks said, quote, Indiana is a conservative state that deserves a conservative senator, and I look forward to continuing to make my case to Hoosiers across the state, that I am a conservative voice they can trust with a consistent track record of getting things done, end quote. Now that Banks has been endorsed by the GOP, he may receive financial support from the Republican National Committee. On Monday, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis announced a fourth indictment against former President Donald Trump for his involvement in the 2020 election. Willis first began investigating Trump and his co-conspirators in February 2021. The indictment is based around Georgia's RICO statute, or Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. The act penalizes individuals for engaging in organized crime. 
Willis alleges Trump, along with 18 allies, attempted to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia. Willis said she would like to see a trial date for the case within the next six months. Conservatives are pointing fingers at President Joe Biden online. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy wrote on X, quote, Justice should be blind, but Biden has weaponized the government against his leading political opponent to interfere in the 2024 election. Now, a radical DA in Georgia is following Biden's lead by attacking President Trump and using it to fundraise her political career, end quote. However, Willis pushed back against conservatives online, saying during a press conference, quote, I make decisions in this office based on the facts and the laws. The law is completely nonpartisan. That's how decisions are made in every case, end quote. In total, Trump now faces 21 charges and four different criminal cases. According to the Fulton County Sheriff's Office, Trump and the 18 others charged are expected to turn themselves in by noon on August 25th. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Brooklyn Lambright. During its meeting on August 15th, the Bloomington Board of Public Works heard an ordinance against camping in the public right-of-way. Public Works Director Adam Wason presented the ordinance. He provided background on why the board is hearing the ordinance now. Uh, from the staff report, it states that the city has a responsibility to ensure that the public's right-of-way is accessible and available to all members of the Bloomington community. Uh, to that end, the city recommends taking steps to prevent individuals and entities from <clears throat> to prevent individuals from impermissibly obstructing the public right-of-way. Uh, staff request, requests that the board adopt this resolution um, as a recommendation to the city council to adopt proposed ordinance changes to the city code that would address these obstructions to the right-of-way. Um, I just want to first start with some general comments from myself and state that I just appreciate each of the board members, uh, their uh, diligence in reviewing this matter, uh, their diligence in the conversation yesterday during the work session on this matter. Um, these aren't, you know, these are, um, this is being brought forward and uh, for reasons that, you know, none of us would really want to have to bring forward resolutions like this. Um, you know, some we've had some specific instances of late and over the last, um, uh, we've had uh, one specific instance of late where this really kind of came um, to a recognition of city staff that we needed to address, come up with a way to address a situation that is both um, within uh, <clears throat> that that meets the legal requirements of um, issuing trespass orders for blocking public rights of way, but also does so with coordination of the city legal department, the prosecutor's office, the police department, and others. So um, the, what's before you today is somewhat modeled after what Indianapolis has created to address situations where individuals are blocking public rights of way, um, mainly sidewalks or areas where pedestrians are going to travel. but. Um, we, you know, so the specific instance that we uh, encountered was um, a few individuals uh, on a city street that were um, 
blocking 90% of the public right-of-way. There was no way that that public right-of-way at that point in time was ADA accessible. Uh, there was no way it was passable by somebody simply walking by. Um, and, um, you know, in the vast, vast majority of the instances in which I've been in a situation encountering that, uh, it's simply a conversation of, hey, you know, um, we want to try to keep the sidewalk clear. Could you please, um, you know, gather your things? And, you know, and that's usually all it is. Um, we've had an instance where that was pushed to, no, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here. This is, you know, and uh, we, in conversation with our police department, which we work very good with and, um, and not anything against their actions in the situation, but it was very clear in their conversations with the prosecutor's office and others that we didn't really have the ability to simply remove for trespass for this exact issue. Um, the result of that is what's before you today. Um, we're trying to come up with uh, what we're asking is that you would uh, pass this resolution, which then recommends to the city council to take up an ordinance that would put, give us the ability to, um, to handle situations uh, of this nature. So, Board member Kyla Cox Deckard said she believes this is an issue of accessibility. She said the public needs to be able to access the public right of way without obstruction. The public knows. Um, anyone who has watched uh, Public Works or has interacted with us, um, we deal with many, many, many issues related to the right-of-way. Um, this board takes very seriously the accessibility of the right-of-way and are very mindful um, when we do grant use of the right-of-way for specific purposes. Um, of course, uh, allowing the public to be able to um, use the right-of-way in the way that uh, it is intended so that people can pass through it um, and travel through it uh, is something that's top of mind every time we have a conversation about um, right-of-way use, whether it's uh, construction or um, a, a special event. Uh, this board often um, asks and ensures that the public is still going to be able to access what they need in order to be able to travel um, through the area. And so it is important uh, to us, and this is one element um, of that that we uh, are considering today and thinking about um, that has perhaps not been addressed uh, by other elements of the code. Um, in that conversation about the way that the um, that the proposal is written, the suggested language, um, I uh, had raised the question about the wording that included entities, because we do actually address um, usage of the right-of-way by entities in many, many different ways. Um, and so uh, it seemed that this particular uh, ordinance would not necessarily be um, addressing entities because we do have other uh, code language that addresses um, entities in this uh, scenario. So um, I would s recommend that we modify uh, the suggested language to remove uh, the term entities uh, so that it reads individuals um, as opposed to individuals and entities. Uh, likewise, I appreciate uh, we had a really good conversation about the um, the fines and the fact that there is uh, sort of a general um, violation fine language um, that exists in city code uh, that was used in this um, in this proposed language, uh, but it seemed incongruent when read 
uh, as its general um, fine language to some other fines that we uh, place upon um, different entities, in most cases, uh, for violating um, use of the public right-of-way. And so, and it's, to me, does not seem like the fine is actually the um, critical element of, of this um, proposed ordinance. Uh, and so uh, I would suggest that we might modify um, this language to not include reference to a fine, um, as that is not part of the, the goal. Vice President of the Board Elizabeth Karen asked for clarification on how the fines portion would be included in the ordinance. City Attorney Mike Rucker addressed the question. You to speak to the reason to include or not include uh, mention of the fine specifically. What legal and staff's opinion is about that, please? Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about this at the, the work session. Um, this is not a, a revenue generating initiative for the city. The, the goal here for staff, and, and I hope for the board, is to make sure that the public right-of-way is usable by the public for its intended purpose. And so the goal is to make sure we have a tool when we have situations where the right-of-way has been obstructed so it can't be used for its intended purpose, to make sure that we can get it back into the, the, the state that we need it to be in so that it can be used for the public to traverse. Um, in that regard, you know, a, a fine really is not a useful tool at all. What we need to be able to do is have a mechanism to remove the obstruction that's in the right-of-way, and that's what we're trying to do with this, this proposed ordinance. During public comment, local resident Sydney Zulich spoke against the ordinance, saying she believes it vilified people who are unhoused. Hello, uh, my name is Sydney Zulik. Uh, I just want to start off by thanking you all uh, for your work, but I discourage you passing this on to the city council in the current form that it is. Um, homeless people have stuff. We all have stuff. But the only, the only difference between them and people who do have homes or apartments or rent anything is that they don't have a place to put their stuff. So instead of demonizing them for having stuff like the rest of us do, I really encourage you to look for solutions that give them a place to put their stuff instead of just kind of taking it. I understand that this is an issue. I'm the only city council candidate for District 6, so in three and a half months I will be forced to reckon with this issue like the rest of you are. I totally get it. Um, but I really think we should be focused on legislation that helps instead of hurts. Um, and in three and a half months, I would love to work with you all and develop a solution that is maybe a little more helpful and a little less um, hurtful. Um, so if you do choose, I'm so sorry, I keep hitting this. Um, if you do choose to pass this ordinance, I encourage you to include wording that is opens up opportunity to create spaces for homeless people to put their stuff, like for example, lockers, where they know that their stuff will be safe. Um, the Shalom Center has some options, but not as many people are aware of them. I really believe that if we are to pass something like this, we should be offering services as a city for people to keep their stuff safe. Um, 
And also in regard to um, obstructing the way, we should really be looking a lot more at double parking. Um, if, you've, if you've driven down Walnut or College in the past three days, you know it's a huge safety issue for traffic. Um, I drive there all the time. I used to live on the square, um, so I'm quite familiar with it. Um, we should be focusing a little bit more on that and a little less on demonizing homelessness. Thank you. And once again, I really appreciate all of your hard work. The board approved the ordinance unanimously. It awaits the city council for approval. The Bloomington Board of Public Works will meet again for its regular session on August 29th. In today's feature report, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. This month, we interviewed Dr. Rob Stone for an update and synthesis of all the complex and maddening developments in healthcare costs, billing, and profiteering. Based on his recent presentation at IU Health and IU School of Medicine in Bloomington, we turn now to Prescription for Healthcare. Welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana Bloomington. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Today I'll be talking with my co-host, Dr. Rob Stone. Although politicians seem to have forgotten about healthcare, features in various media about ongoing investigations of fraud and abuse by big insurance, big pharma, big hospital systems, and private equity is being written about with clear examples of a dystopian state of healthcare in the United States. Trigger warning, Rob will brief us on the most current news that may set your hair on fire and be prepared for outrage. Let's start with your annual presentation in July at the IU Health Hospital and Medical School in Bloomington about the current state of healthcare reform. Tell us about what you told the hospital and the medical community. Thanks for having me on. I give this talk pretty much every year in July around the time of Medicare's birthday because Medicare was enacted in 1965. I talk about what's going on and this year. There's a lot to talk about and it's all just things going from bad to worse. Now, there's no easy way to say this. So for instance, the investigative journalism award-winning outfit called ProPublica has published a series of studies a series of papers about the for-profit insurance industry and how, how hard they are to work with and how they deny care for people. And just really the titles of these articles are enough to get you going. For instance, back in February, they had an article entitled United Health tried to deny coverage to a chronically ill patient. He fought back, exposing the insurer's inner workings. Then in March, how Cigna saves millions by having its doctors reject claims without reading them. And then in May, Congressional Committee and regulators question the Cigna system 
that lets its doctors deny claims without reading files. And then in June, how often do health insurers say no to patients? No one knows. So the point of all of this is that the insurance companies simply cancel claims or reject claims or ignore claims or lose track of claims intentionally because it means they don't have to pay for care. And it puts us all as patients and me as a doctor in a worse position trying to help people get better. It's unforgivable. And then coming uh, on the heels of that was a study, for instance, uh, in the, an article in the New York Times in July of 2023, just recently, entitled, Insurers Deny Medical Care for the Poor at High Rates. So this is an article talking about how many state Medicaid programs are actually administered by these big health insurance companies like United Health and Cigna, and also in Indiana by Elevance, which is the insurance company that used to be known as Anthem. And before that was known as Blue Cross of Indiana, was also known as WellPoint, and then it went back to Anthem, and most recently it became Elevance. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. But the important thing is that Medicaid patients, so these are relatively poor people, their care was being denied at rates up to 30% of the claims being made. These companies are finding ways to deny care even through the Medicaid program, and they're doing it through Medicare as well. We've talked about that on this program before, about the privatization and the claims denial and Medicare Advantage. So it's just one thing after another. I've got to pause for a second and talk about Elevance because it's a company that I just despise and it is based right up in Indianapolis. And so they made their change to Elevance. And if you go to their website, you can read where it says, Elevance Health brings together the concepts of elevate and advance, exemplified by our bold purpose of improving the health of humanity. That's a mouthful. And they go on to say, we are a health company dedicated to making real progress toward improving the health of the people and communities we serve. They don't even call themselves a health insurance company. They say they are a health company and they are boldly serving us by boldly actually serving their shareholders by not taking care of people who are sick. In actuality, they're a financial institution. Wouldn't you say that? Really, they are a large financial institution, like all insurance companies are. They make their money by making money. Then I talked in my talk about private equity, which is this horrible thing moving through all parts of the economy where groups of wealthy investors like Jeff Bezos of Amazon buy up things like doctors' practices and hospitals and surgery centers. They, they're being bought up by private equity all over the place. Now, the most recent article in the Journal of the American Medical Association in May talked about private equity in the U.S. from cradle to grave because they mentioned how obstetrical practices are being bought up and then now how oncology practices are being bought up. So much oncology care, not in Bloomington, but much cancer care is being now provided 
by these groups of doctors, which are part of these for-profit, private equity-funded entities that have just lost all humanity. And last, as Karen mentioned in the introduction, we talk about big hospitals. What we're seeing is that finally, big hospital chain mergers are being weeded out or denied by the Federal Trade Commission under some of the new regulations that President Biden has put in. But as we've talked about on this show in the past, Indiana has a problem with not-for-profit hospital systems, which have near-monopoly status and near-monopoly pricing power in Indiana, including IU Health here in Bloomington, as well as Parkview based out of Fort Wayne and the Ascension system around the state, which we know it as St. Vincent's. Indiana has these incredibly high hospital costs from the not-for-profit hospitals. And also in July, in the New England Journal of Medicine, was a very provocative article entitled, Do Nonprofit Hospitals Deserve Their Tax Exemptions? And this article makes a little statement that in 2018, for every $100 of expenses incurred by nonprofit hospitals, the nonprofit spent $2.30 on charity care, but the for profit hospital spent $3.80 for charity care. In other words, the nonprofit hospitals are spending a smaller percentage of care than the for profit hospitals. The article says these data suggest that many nonprofit hospitals don't provide enough charity care to justify their favorable tax treatment. So here's where we're caught. Hospitals are merging, insurance companies are merging, everything is becoming more corporatized, more monopolized, bills are going up, patients are getting squeezed, patient death is increasing. We're caught in a terrible downward spiral and we've got to figure out how to get out of it. Dear listeners, what do you think about this information? If you have comments, please go to the Medicare for All Indiana Bloomington Facebook page and let's hear from you. Have you experienced these kinds of situations where your claims have been denied? Let us know. Let, let's start a conversation here. And one of the places we can have this conversation is on Wednesday, September 13th at 7 p.m., Medicare for All Indiana Bloomington will be showing American Hospitals Healing a Broken System at Woolery Mill, 2250 West Sunstone Drive off of Tap Road on Bloomington's west side. And let me just add one more thing before we close up the show. People are more important than profits. I went to medical school to take care of people. The insurance companies they make their money and support their shareholders by not paying for care. The hospitals are trying to survive in a difficult environment, and I think they've become too powerful as well as everything's become more consolidated. But we are the people, and we can still stand up for what we believe, and this is what we need to do. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington, Indiana. To your good health, everyone, please stay safe and thank you for listening. We may never see this moment, a place and time again. If not now, if not now, tell me when. 
Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Brooklyn Lambright, Cade Young, Noel Herhusky Schneider, and Yane Sanchez Lopez in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Karen Greenstone. Brooklyn Lambright produced today's State House Roundup. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 